Hello, listeners. Producer Doug here. Stacy, Christopher, and I wish to extend our heartfelt sympathies to our neighbors, friends, and colleagues affected by the Mountain View fire that tragically burned in the Walker and Colville communities starting on November 17. If any of you are interested in extending support to the many individuals and families who lost their homes and belongings, please go online to the Mountain View Fire Relief Fund at the Mammoth Lakes Chamber of Commerce website at mammothlakeschamber.org. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast where we bring you your ABCs, your adventure books and conversation from 11,000 feet here in the beautiful Eastern Sierra in Mono County. I'm your friendly county librarian Christopher and with me is my co-host I'm Stacy, your friendly county superintendent of schools. <laughs> and with us as always is our ever friendly producer Doug. Hey Doug. Hi Doug. Hi, I'm I'm your your techno drudge. <laughs> techno drudge. I think you need, you need to copyright that term. Yeah, I should, I should. I should get technodrudge.com. <laughs> Do it right now. We could yeah. make t-shirts. Yeah, t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly we're in a mood today, guys. Um <laughs> It is That's, Friday the 13th as we, we're recording this. So we, we do record our episodes early and it is Friday the 13th and we're all just a little punchy this morning. Yes. Um, but we're all in a great mood. Um, so, cause Hey, you know what? The mountain opens today, Stace. It does. And that's always an exciting day. And they're opening with more than one run. I mean, typically, you know, we get Broadway open, but they've got, Six runs, I believe, open. So that's that's a good amount of terrain. Nice, nice snowfall recently here. Right. We're expecting more as more. we record this. So yep. hopefully by the time you're listening to this, there's a good pack going. At any rate, before we talk about that adventure, let's get into your adventure, Stace. You did some interesting stuff this week. I did. Um, so Wednesday was Veterans Day. Yep. And my husband and I decided to go out to north of Mono Lake and go see the Black Point Fissures. So I had never heard of these. My husband found them, you know, he was trolling around online and found Mm -hmm. this and said, let's go, let's go check it out. So to get to the Fissures, you drive on 395, you go past Mono Lake and you turn on Cemetery Road. So you're going north. You're going north. Yeah. And then when you get to Cemetery Road, you you know, you pass by there's a little visitor center. Um, and then you keep going and you see the turnoff for Black Point. Okay. And you go down this dirt road. And you go when you get to the end of the dirt road, you there's a little parking area. And so from there, we we parked the car and then we hiked. And the first thing that I noticed, which was really cool, is that the the dirt is it's almost like a black sand beach in really? Hawaii. It's wow. it's really dark, 
black dirt and it's all volcanic soil. And so that was really cool. And we had to, we didn't know exactly where we were going. There was a lot of snow, like more than we anticipated. So a clear trail wasn't visible. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think our listeners know that not knowing exactly where you're going is kind of a theme when Stace is out. Absolutely. And And me, I'm I'm as guilty as you. Yeah. So it was, you know, we did a little bit of switchbacking and we climbed, you know, we climbed up these terraces and we actually got to, before we got to the fissures, we got to the top of Black Point and there's a, there's a geological marker there. Um, and the view is amazing. You know, you could see all of the Mono, all of, you know, Mono Lake and the caldera and it's just, it's so pretty. Is Black Point, is that the kind of high point just north of the island? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and it erupted. So Black Point erupted about 13,000 years ago mm-hmm. and following the last ice age. And at that point, Mono Lake was five times its current size. Wow. Um, and nearly 10 times its current depth. Um, so like at one point when we were up on top and we could see the, the big tufa in the middle of Mono Lake, um, we wondered like how deep would the water be? Like, could we swim from like the, the shore, like where our truck was parked to the Island, you know, so something that we're pondering, we're not really (laughs) sure. (laughs) So, um, we hung out at the top of black point and checked it out and tried to figure out how to get to the fissures from where we were. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we had to come down, which was a little tricky because there's a lot of loose granitics and rocks and not a whole lot of traction. So, yeah. you know, I've, my husband, for our listeners who don't know him, is 6'4", you know, 200 pounds. If he fell and got hurt, I would be in a world of trouble to help him. <laughs> you uh, leave carry him. <laughs> That would not be possible. So we we took our time and, you know, kind of scaled down. And then finally we got to the fissures. Mm -hmm. And so there you, I mean, if you're not looking for them, you could miss them. And especially when we were out because of the snow, you know, things are kind of covered. So these fissures are these cracks in the, um, in the rocks and you it, there are times where you can walk through the fissures, like you can get from one point to another. And um, it, there we couldn't because of the snow and there, there was no way to get like down into them. So, so describing a fissure, I'm trying to picture it mentally because I think I know what you're talking about. These are kind of like really slender canyons in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you imagine that you had this whole kind of, rock structure right mm-hmm. and the the water and the ice kind of started carving it out mm-hmm. and then eventually when you know when water freezes into ice and it right. expands and then it contracts so these kind of crevice big deep crevices were created in the, in the rock structures and so you can like i said you can kind of walk through them And, um, there's, it was so cool to look down and see how deep they went. (laughs) 
like we didn't want to be falling down into into these fissures and there there are several of them but we we just um you know kind of examined one the one that we saw and they're only right. they're only a few feet wide mm-hmm. so you know you can't even walk side by side in them but you could walk single file wow and um for our for our listeners that have been to the slot canyons in Utah mm-hmm. that's what these kind of look like wow Beautiful. So, um, and you know, we were, when we were standing at the top edge and thinking, well, could we jump across to the other <laughs> side? Uh-oh. No, didn't really want to take that chance because <laughs> they, <laughs> they really go down really super far, but, um, we don't want to encourage our listeners to take up parkour at the, no, Lake no, Fishers. no. Right. And so, some of them are, are 80 feet in Ugh. depth. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. Um, and after we, we got there and, you know, we, we had been hiking around for a few hours, so it was time to kind of head back. And, um, we thought, oh, we have to go back when it's not, when there's no snow yeah. and we could really walk in, into them and, um, and check them out. And then when we got home, we found, oh, well, there's another way to get there where you don't have to hike so far, <laughs> like, <laughs> could, like drive. But we we couldn't find that because of the snow. <laughs> so well, that's right. You had a better adventure. We did. It was it was such a beautiful day, and there were no other people out there. It was just me and Joe and Lola, and we just we had the. It, we had the best time. It was just, it was so beautiful. And we could see, um, for our listeners that remember the episode where we went to the, uh, the caldera. So you could see it from where we were. The Panem crater? Yeah, the Panem crater. Yeah. So um, you could see that from where we were. And it was, and, and then all the colors of Mona Lake. And it was, it was beautiful. So we, we will post some pictures, um, of this adventure and, um, encourage listeners. If you haven't been out to see these fissures when, after the snow's gone and springtime comes, I just highly suggest it. And yeah, Christopher, we want to take you guys out there too. Oh, totally. I, now I definitely want to go see. And I think we should just also mention to our listeners, you're, you're typical of a good Eastern Sierra hiker couple in the sense that you make good judgments when you get to unsafe areas. There's a lot of places you can crawl around around here that have those granitics and, you know, we call it ball bearing sand where you yes. kind of can't <laughs> even get traction. You can end up on your behind sliding down a hill really quickly or, you know, don't right. don't go into a fissure that looks too deep if you don't sure it's safe. You know, just make good judgments when you're out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you would want to have some kind of emergency equipment with you, you know, right. first like we 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 didn't have a first aid kit or, you know, backpacks or anything. We were just going to check it out. So, but if we were going to go back and actually go into the fissures and go a little bit deeper, then we would you know, want to have some safety equipment with us. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but it was super cool and it was a great day and definitely a, a worthy adventure. Terrific. Well, listeners, add that to your list. Maybe go online and look up some of the photos to kind of entice you. And um, yeah, grab your warm cup of tea like I am right now. We'll be right back with our book segment. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. 
Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B, the book section of our podcast. Time for the cheer. Hooray! Good job. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a really special, different kind of book segment this week. We do. And I'm kind of excited about it. So we decided to discuss the renderings, if you will, um, of the stylistic, Gary, renderings. the stylistic renderings of Gary Larson, the author of The Far Side. <laughs> so, and sh- I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell why. I was going to say, you're going to have to explain this. To okay. So we were, my husband and I were taking a walk down Poline Road in Crowley Lake and there it's called Poline because there are all these electrical poles that line this little walk area and one of the poles is completely crooked it's completely out of line with all the other poles and i said to my husband that looks like a far side cartoon like what would the caption be and we were la- we were laughing so hard trying to think of what the captions for that might be mm-hmm. and then he suggested hey you guys should talk about the far side and i brought it up to christopher and you agreed because I'm a fan of dad humor. So, um, but I'm, you know, we're now curious, Stacy. What did you and Joe come up with oh, for I a caption? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Honestly, I really, I it was it. This was several months ago, and I really, I'm going to disappoint everybody because I can't remember what it it was. But I can, I can tell you that another time we saw a bunch of cows at Crawley Lake got loose. Uh-huh. And there were like seven of them. I'm not totally serious. Not kidding here. Like seven of them start were walking and they crossed in front of us mm-hmm. and started walking to the little kiosk where you check in when you go to Crawley Lake. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, you know, making up the far side, another far side comics because he loves, you know, doing cows. Like, yeah. That, you know. You're you're kind of describing what Farsight is for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with him. Yes, yeah. So, like my my caption was, you know, the the one cow says, or the one cow says the other cow, "Hey, Mildred, did you remember the credit card? <laughs> we have to pay to get in." <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's kind. Of, I mean, that's kind of the idea. If you don't know Gary Larson, you know that he takes kind of everyday situations in his cartoons and turns them on their head. Yeah, he he was he we should say he his heyday was like 1980 to 1995 something yeah. like that, right? He, right, and he retired in 99. Yeah. Um so, you know, Farside back in the heyday was just like an everyday part of the cultural zeitgeist. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I know I had far side calendars and, and the, you know, the cartoon of the day or the day of the, you know, you rip one, <laughs> it's like 365 pages and you rip one off every day. Yeah. You but, know, a lot of us did. And it was because, you know, he, he was part of that generation too, that kind of came out of the sixties and seventies, you know, mad magazine and all that kind of stuff yeah. that was really pushing satire was pushing kind of some surrealism, you know, and just kind of, poking at the underbelly of life, you know, him and Scott Adams with Dilbert and, you know, Matt Gronig, who had 
a hugely popular Life in Hell comic right. before The Simpsons came mm-hmm. along. Yep. You know, Gary Trudeau with Doonesbury, that's a little bit more erudite. But, you know, they were all kind of of that ilk at that yep. period. You would open up the, the comics section of the newspaper, mm-hmm. and th- those would be who were surrounding the Farside character. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I love the, the irony that he brought to mm-hmm. his cartoons. You know, it was just, it, it made you, they made you laugh, but they definitely gave you another way to think about things. So he, he did a lot with animals. You just yes. described cows and mm-hmm. sheep and sharks and bears and yep. dogs. So a couple of sheep cartoons that I couple of that I really liked is like, you know, there's, and he would put them in kind of anthropomorphic human situations. So like there's a sheep parents are, are watching their young sheep daughter come down the stairs to meet her boyfriend and her, her date is there and he has just been sheared. So you've got, (laughs) you know, this kind of like hairless sheep with a flower in his hand, you know, and, and they're saying, look, you know, so, and so just got sheared for his date, you know, right. those are kind of like the little things or the dog who is showing the other dog, all of his taxidermy hanging off the wall. And he points to that's the hand that fed me. Right. You know, it's a little right. bit morbid. <laughs> sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just even simpler than that. So mm-hmm. there, you know, I came across doing, you know, research for this episode where there's a cartoon, there's no words in it at all. It's just a couple of dogs and they the human is on his back and they're, the dogs are tickling its stump, the human stomach. Right. And you could see his leg, you know, kind of moving like dogs' legs do when you tickle. You know, it's just the, that twist of, you know, the the animal being the, the dominant one. <laughs> yeah. And then he would do other things. You know, he did insects. So there's another one where a girl is introducing her insect boyfriend to her parents and, and, but he's not fully pupated yet. So he's like, Oh, she's like, I'll just work until he pupates, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. There's, you know, he often had the quote unquote nerds. He had scientists, kids with a magnifying glass, you know, and a little bug, you know, um, were a favorite trope. Um, a lot of people going to hell, So, you know, people standing in line to get into hell, like they're standing to get into an airplane and the little devil at the gate is like, would you like Inferno or (laughs) non-Inferno? No, it's all Inferno. I just like teasing you guys. You know, it's, that's kind of the dad humor. Definitely. comes out of, of his stuff. But he was not without controversy. Right. Either. So one of, one of my favorite, um, comics that he did, one of his favorite, one of my favorite drawings was, there are two chimpanzees and the the wife chimpanzees picking things off of her husband and she comes up uh she comes up with a blonde hair mm-hmm. and she says, Oh, you've been with that good all tramp again, or something <laughs> that a- and that actually upset a lot of Jane Goodall's <laughs> fans Man, and right. followers and Jane Goodall actually thought it was very funny. <laughs> and, you know, she was quoted as saying, no, I, I thought it was quite brilliant. And um, as a result, she and Gary Larson became good friends. And he toured her, um, you know, the national park where she worked. And they started, um, he actually contributed 
uh, pro- profits from his book to her, one of his books to her foundation. Oh, that's amazing. And he, he was, was quite with, funny. He, he often would elicit angry letters to the editor. You know, mm-hmm. people would, people would sometimes be upset with some of his cartoons. There's one, another famous one. I think it's, he called it cow, cow tools. Cow tools. A, yeah. Yeah. Cow standing in front of a tool bench with all these different kinds of tools on it and no caption. And it just seemed to confuse a lot of people and yes. generate anger. And to this day, it's still kind of controversial in the Gary Larson world. The other thing, you know, when I was looking through, I loved Gary Larson, you know, mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, but looking through a lot of the collections today and the mammoth library has quite a few copies. Um, you know, many are kind of dated. Um, Mm -hmm. they kind of hinge on stereotypes that would not pass today. Right. Um, you know, just in the way he reflects, you know, people from Africa or native Americans or what have you. So, um, you know, today I would go in with eyes wide open, um, but there are still many that just make me just cause they're stupid. They just make me laugh out loud. Right. Like the, the two astronauts that land on the moon and one of them is touching the moon and he's like, oh, say it is only a paper moon. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of, I don't know. I'm sorry. It's dad humor. <laughs> no, I think, I don't, I don't know if it's, I mean, I think it's more than dad humor. I think it's pretty funny, but you know, you touch on a good um, point there that, not everything that he does would hold up today or, or right. resonate today. So one cartoon that I found that, you know, being, being a part of the fishing culture here in the Eastern Sierra, there's a cartoon with a couple of fishermen in a boat and they're uh-huh. fishing. And off in the distance, you could see three mush, huge mushroom clouds. And uh-huh. the one fisherman says, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's for sure, Norm. No size, no size restrictions and screw the limit, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but the, you know, the idea of these mushroom clouds, you know, that was a big thing. It was, you know, back in, in the eighties and the fear of that. And it just, that doesn't, we don't, that's not part of our everyday thought process today. We have bigger things to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you also discovered he, he's, started doing some again, right? Yes. So he did start in within the past year. I mean, this is fairly recently um, online. You can go, you can just Google Gary Larson and find his daily dose is what it's called the daily dose. And he um, on there, he puts uh, three or four brand new cartoons. And then there's a theme, there's a couple of themes and he pulls out some of his past cartoons that are that align with those themes. And um, I've, since I found it, I've been looking at it every day. And today there was a funny one where Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are standing in the window and there are a bunch of little outside of their home. There's a bunch of little bugs shaped mm-hmm. creatures. And Mrs. Potato Head is saying they're back. And the caption is night of the potato bugs. So I thought that was really funny. <laughs> it's just a good little chuckle to start the day, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to invest a whole lot of yourself <laughs> or time. Um, but for, for Gary Larson fans, I think they're, everybody is really happy to see him back at it again. I think so too. Yeah. And you know, I do it. We do encourage, you know, uh, in libraries, we encourage people to explore all different formats of reading. Um, you know, I, I like cartoons and, and I 
loved the comic strip pages of, of the newspaper growing up. And so I still kind of get drawn to some of this stuff and, um, you know, it just helps trigger things in your brain. It puts a smile on your face. It makes you think sometimes. And, you know, we have a surprising number of comic strip and cartoon collections in our libraries. So, and if you're outside of the area, your local library will have them as well. We do encourage you to go back and explore. And some of it's a little bit nostalgic. You can get an old Calvin and Hobbes or Calvin and Hobbes Bloomsbury, you know, things that, that, you know, were really so important during the day. And now, now I don't know where we see that stuff. We see it in cat videos. We see it in Instagram. I don't know. I don't know where comics really show up day to day. That's a, that's a good point that, you know, TikTok videos and YouTube (laughs) videos, you know, for the younger generation, you know, like, like my, my 15 year old, you know, those have kind of taken the place of something like a far side cartoon or a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that I look forward to checking out every day when I was her age. And I do think they do lend themselves to more critical thinking, right? They can be more provocative sometimes. And, um, they're just a lot of fun. So listeners encourage you to check back in with Gary Larson and see if you don't enjoy it still as much as, as we are enjoying it. Absolutely. So take a deep breath and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to oxygen starved the podcast that brings you your ABCs, Adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We're at the C portion of the podcast, the conversation portion, where we bring you a local who contributes uniquely to the live, work, play lifestyle of the Eastern Sierra. And today we are thrilled to be joined by our colleague, coworker, and neighbor and artist, Lori Michelon. Hey, Lori. Hi, Lori. Good morning, guys. How are you today? I am doing okay. Thanks. And you? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're good. Doing well. we, we, we joked with the listeners this morning that we record this early and that today is actually Friday the 13th and mm. we we're a little punchy about it. Um, but you know, it's a beautiful blue day and there's more snow coming and, um, yeah, it's going to be yeah, great. That is good. <laughs> so Lori, <laughs> Lori, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Like how did, how did you get to the Eastern Sierra and end up doing what you do today. And I should say among the many hats you wear in life, one of them is the coordinator of the library's makerspace program. So indeed. Thanks. Um, I first came up here actually when I was five months old, I don't remember it, but um, (laughs) this is where my parents would come with five kids because we didn't have a lot of money and it was a cheap vacation and they, love being outdoors. So I've always come up to the Eastern Sierra, but it wasn't until my parents rather rudely moved from Southern California to Southern Oregon. And so the three of us younger people left at home had to find something to do. (laughs) So so, um, one brother stayed down there and then I followed the other one up here to Mammoth and worked at that time. It was funny. You either worked for the mountain or you worked in town at a restaurant. And in Uh the summer, 
there were no jobs. So we either got unemployment or I would leave. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I just, you know, hung out. I did manage to go back to get my undergraduate degree at San Francisco state by working a little bit in the winters and then taking a couple semesters over mm-hmm. in San Francisco mm-hmm. and I managed to pick at the time, the most expensive city in the U S um, <laughs> friends and I lived in some of the most atrocious places, but um, yeah. So that, you know, and then I also, I lived in France for a couple years and, mm, wow. and lived in Santa Barbara with my late husband while he started grad school where our daughter was born. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then after getting, I went to grad school at Cal State Long Beach and commuted for five years from Tom's place where I lived to and 90 units. And then I got a job teaching at the college, wow. studio art and art history and ESL. And that sort of, that was pretty wonderful. And then I've always, well, I guess for about 14, 15 years, I've worked at the library as a sub and then segued into the makerspace role about three years ago, which has been um enjoyable for many reasons, one of which is, you know, it's still artistic. Yeah. And tell our listeners about Makerspace is kind of a new phenomenon in libraries. If our listeners aren't familiar with it, can you describe that? Yeah. I mean, originally, of course, what it was is a room upstairs in the math library where kids would come usually after school during the school year and just grab glue guns and sewing machines and make stuff. And my coworker, my fabulous coworker, Julia, and I would help them and supervise um, that activity. And all kinds of things can be made with, like I said, sewing machines, sewing stuff, hand sewing, embroidery, cardboard, um, gluing. Glue guns are obviously a favorite. (laughs) Gluing everything. (laughs) <laughs> under the sun. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it has changed since March. Um, because yeah. nobody can be in that space with us. So Julie and I've switched to making kits that in plastic bags that people can just pick up. You don't even have to check them out, just come. And we're sending them to our other libraries as well. And we just have the, the cardboard wagon kit and what's fun is I have to work out these things and make sure they work. <laughs> you know, so some kid doesn't get home and just starts, you know, crying because the wheels don't work or something. So that, that's been fun. And that's a good motivation now still for me and Julia. What I love about maker activities in libraries and especially our library and, and the, and the kind of flavor that you and Julia bring to it, Lori, is that there really is this kind of artisanship and it, it, you know, kids are there, you know, kind of having fun, but while they're having fun, they're also learning how to craft and they're learning yeah. how to interact with each other and they're learning mm-hmm. how to, how to fail and correct and succeed. And, you know, I just, I love, I miss walking by the makerspace and seeing all the kids there engaged in usually glue gunning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which as I recall, Christopher, you got into for your ugly Christmas sweater a couple which, years ago. Yes, 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 yes. I, I, you I'm, didn't want to sew. You wanted to glue. <laughs> it was true. Yes. And that's what we miss the most, Julie and I, about just having the kids in there. And like you said, Christopher, they, they learn to work with each other and, at least be in a room together without, you know, poking each other with sticks and stuff and fun stuff like that. I mean, they're, and working through problems and And we miss the kids so much. 
and sometimes the parents would get involved. Like I remember there was a, a, a father who learned to sew because his daughter was there learning to sew, right? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And our, our fabulous volunteer, Dale was, you know, would help people with, he believes everybody should sew because when he was little, he asked his mom to hem his pants for him. And she said, no, you're going <laughs> to learn how to do it yourself. And so <laughs> she thinks everybody, you know, and it's great. It's, it's just it's, a skill that's pretty it's awesome. True. It, I mean, that that is a really good skill to have to know how to hem pants or sew a button or those are life skills. Mm-hmm. And we've had people come in, you know, climbers that come in to repair clothing that's pretty much past its <laughs> prime, but they can, you know, get one more use out of it by sewing up the bud or something. And, and that's been pretty cool to see people using it for that as well. And so the kits that you have made, are those... Do those, are they inspired just out of whatever you and Julia can come up with or do, is research involved and in where they Research is involved and kind of, yes, we, we do our research ourselves and I, you know, first we look around the space and see what we have that's frankly, kind of inexpensive and that we have a lot of. And so, you know, to start out there, cardboard is an amazing substance. And if you look, I mean, just think incredible things people make out of cardboard. We're not there yet, but we're still like the wagon. The wagon's pretty cute, I have to admit. And um, yeah, so there's that. And then, you know, I go to other maker spaces and see what people are doing. And, and I love trying to figure out like simplest materials mm-hmm. that can be used and make something that, you know, kids can actually build and they're hands-on and they're not on the computer. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get, do the kids ever like email you back or send pictures of what they've created from the kits? Not so much. And that's one of the hardest parts is getting feedback. We've gotten mm-hmm. feedback from some of our other the outlying librarians. And then on the Instagram and Facebook accounts, I get more hits on Instagram and, mm-hmm. and people do make comments. And I know some of the kids we used to have are, are following us. And, and But I, I haven't gotten any pictures yet, which I would love. And, you know, I know everybody's having it's really hard to connect with people right now yeah. and especially right. kids, you know, yeah. with the privacy issues and they're in school and all that. So we're, you know, we still think it's an upward trend. Yeah. Oh, sure. And so what I also love about, and you just alluded to it, Lori, is so many kids are on screen all day, five days a week now. And these are intentionally screen-free projects. Mm-hmm. 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 And Julie and I definitely, that's, what we want. We, and we had fun with one of the things we made was a little booklet with five different trees mm-hmm. in the area that kids, it was like a scavenger hunt coloring book. And we're going to, we just talked yesterday about making an, a new one for winter with, about tracks, animal tracks. But, oh, cool. and so, yeah, something they'll spend a little more time with that, like you said, Christopher's hands-on. I mean, that seems mm-hmm. so important right now. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. So aside from the wonderful stuff you're doing at the Makerspace, I could plug that all day. Um, <laughs> you do, you you are in, an artist writ large in the Eastern Sierra. What other stuff are you involved in today? And, and where can people see your stuff? Well, we just, um, many of you probably know Dana Ellis, a friend of mine, a fellow artist uh, who also mm-hmm. works for the library. Yep. And... <laughs> She and I 
we always organize the chocolate art walk at the uh, Mountain Rambler Brewery. And we just, we had our yeah, art up there for a year because of course nothing happened this year with the chocolate art walk. <laughs> so we just went down to take our art down. Um, we've also shown at C5 and Independent Project Press. And mm-hmm. interestingly, and I've kind of always felt this, like Bishop is is a little bit more on top of things for art shows and people joining up and all that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. right now, my, now that art is back in my hallway. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm working on making uh, a website. A friend of mine had one in it I, for me. And I, anyway, so yeah, right now there's no way. I mean, except I post on my Instagram account, Lori Lee and her art. And I post some artwork there. Mm-hmm. And what, what mediums do you work in? I, my MFA is in, um, printmaking. So I, you know, I can't get a litho press or anything like that. So mainly it's, um, relief printing uh-huh. and, you know, cutting on lino or there's a new rubber product, which is pretty awesome or wood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love the idea of multiples. That's why I was so drawn to printmaking because it's less expensive because of the fact of multiples, but also, you know, it's got a history of activism and things because of that. So, um, and maybe it's even, you get a second chance to print something when the first one doesn't print well. (laughs) (laughs) That's very practical. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I like that when I returned to the Eastern Sierra a couple of years ago, you know, it was noticeable. There is a really vibrant art community here especially in Bishop, which is mm-hmm. south of Mammoth, um, that I hadn't noticed when I lived here all those many years ago. I'm sure it was there, but mm, it just seems much more no. visible now. And, and yeah. you mentioned C5, which I think is a new oh, space. Yeah. So um, wonderful. Yeah. And then, you know, the chocolate artwork, which was great before COVID. I can't wait till it <laughs> yes. comes back because, mm. you know, it's an excuse to walk down and see a bunch of different artists and different mediums and be inspired. And Yeah, and Bishop turns out. You know, I I think one of the hardest things for me and the other friends of mine who are artists in this area is that if, you know, the prevailing type of art always was landscape art Mm -hmm. and particularly color photography. And so Mm -hmm. to break into that, (laughs) you know, with weird hybrid creatures who are dressed in haute couture, but have a head from one of these Star Wars animals, (laughs) you know, it's like, and there are people who like that and I love them for it, but it's, it is different, but that has really changed. Yeah. In, in Bishop, I'd say certainly more than mammoth. Interesting. So Lori, what do you do in the Eastern Sierra for fun? Like when you're not doing makerspace stuff and you're not running a class through the community college or whatever, what do you do on your own? What's what, what mm, art? What is, I mean, that's my big, <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. a, good, a good day has to have some art in it, even if it means looking through a, an art book or magazine. But uh-huh. other than that, I do enjoy skiing and snowshoeing. And I really love hiking, even though my late husband was a snow scientist, I never got mm-hmm. to love snow quite as much as he did. <laughs> and so, I mean, especially when it's in my yard. You know, if it's just elsewhere and I can look at it and it's pretty, but shoveling it has never been one of my favorite things. But <laughs> for the summer months up here, you know, the hiking is just so yeah. wonderful and walking because you get to think. Yeah. You know, yeah. So 
So will you will you be up on the mountain this weekend for opening? Oh God, day? no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have rock skis. I only have the one pair of kind of good skis. So I don't know how people are negotiating that. Are you guys going up for opening weekend? No. <laughs> no, um, we. I will not be up there myself. <laughs> no. But Lori, you have to, for our listeners, many of whom are out of the area, explain the difference between rock skis and good skis. Oh, yeah. So rock skis are the kind that you just really... If you ski over rocks, which if, if the mountain doesn't have a real thick covering of snow, you don't really care if you get these big scratches <laughs> in the P-Tex on the bottom of your skis, whereas, you know, good skis are the ones you just don't want to hit rocks in. Right. <laughs> very, very succinct and apt description. Good job. I only, I only learned of this distinction last year. So now, it's, oh, now really? I'm obsessed okay. with it. And I'm looking at people's skis on cars and yeah, it's... it's mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, you know, that was something that was foreign to me when, when we moved up here, because I wasn't a skier when we moved up here at all, um, is that you, that you have multiple different types of skis for different mm-hmm. types of conditions. You, that was a, that was something new for me. <laughs> yeah. Including I mean, rock skis. Right. So, you know. Right. Well, and then there cross country go. is really fun too. And that's a totally, yeah. obviously different type of, of ski. And that one's. Right. Right. You know, when you want to get away from all the downhillers and the snowboarders. I actually but. love cross-country skiing mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. So, Lori, we always ask our, we always ask our guests, um, because this is a book podcast and we like to promote reading, what are you reading right now? Well, I have, as we kind of discussed yesterday, Chris, for like, I don't know, about 40 books near my bedside table. But <laughs> I won't... I won't go on to that. So I picked four. Um, One of them is Business for Bohemians by Tom Hodgkinson. And he's he's the founder of The Idler, which is both a magazine and he's British and Uh um, a website where you can be idle, but watch. Anyway, the, the chapter on how he's trying to talk up how artistic spreadsheets can be is hilarious. <laughs> and I'm trying to go there because I know I need to learn how to do that. Um, not quite there yet. But the, and then another one is uh, the newest one by Alexander McCall Smith. And I just oh. really like his writing. This Which is the is Peppermint, Peppermint Tea Chronicles. It's a Scotland Street novel. And it's, you know, if you've read his stuff, it's just so, he talks about the micro world of, of these people who live in Edinburgh, but also there's philosophy and people don't always like each other and get along. And but he says it in such a gentle way, it's, you know, that prevailing idea that you, you should at least try. Yeah, totally. He has a huge, huge following. And Mm -hmm. I think he has a new book coming out and I think it's called the promise of ankles, which is an intriguing title. title. (laughs) So it's going to be on my list, but he's a great writer. He's great. He's just kind of entertaining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To read, right? Kind of like yeah, yeah. Everything he's, I really like his. He doesn't write too many of these anymore. I think the mm-hmm. the grammar novels. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love grammar so much. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's great. Um, another book is the Book of Delights by uh, Ross Gay, which I sort of was trying to stay away from because I thought, oh God, it's going to be one of those trite books on how we should be aggressively, positively happy all the time, but it's not at all like, you know, right. Don't we get a little tired of that stuff, but, um, even though it is world kindness day, 
but <laughs> this it one is. is just he's funny yeah. and it's from the point of view of a black man so that's something mm-hmm. that is eye-opening to me as as obviously but also he can be snarky and who doesn't love some good snark oh yeah, yeah totally. you know right so mm-hmm. that book that book hit the library's staff's top picks of last year and i think it was julia who yes it was it. so can you and describe I'm, yes so i'm looking at her little blurb which is taped to the front of the book it says um a meditation on the delight that takes a clear-eyed view of the complexities in life including living in america as a black man mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it's definitely um on my list to read too. yeah, yeah I, it's it, one of those ones mine too <laughs> you can pick up and read Mm -hmm. because it's a bunch of short, like one on sunshine in my lap is only like a paragraph long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that one, you know, really struck me. And the last one I'll talk about is just, um, I'm rereading T.H. White's The Once and Future King. And oh my God, I love this book. I I mean, it goes from, you know, that first part of The Sword and the Stone and Mm -hmm. and King Arthur is warped as a young person. Merlin's turning into all kinds of fun creatures and, and then it's, I'm at the last sad, melancholy part and I'm having trouble like <laughs> finishing that because I just, Aww. it's so, you know, Mordred and Lancelot and all that. So anyway, but I've always loved King Arthur I love and those that legends. Book. Does it, does it, um, you said you're rereading it. So do you mm-hmm. read it every once in a while? Or? Yeah, I do. And it's really, I'm sure you guys have noticed that. It's so interesting to read something. I think the first time I read this, I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then Mm-hmm. <laughs> in my 60s is like okay i didn't catch that the first time around you know but isn't it isn't it don't you find it nice to read a book like that that takes you transports you to just a completely different time oh, and yes. help you escape the the you know everything yes. that's going on in our world today yes and that's probably one of the reasons i'm also loath to kind of finish it up because it then it's back to COVID, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah that's Arth- so true. Yeah, and I I love Arthurian romances as well, and I I studied him in college as a French lit major, um, and so I I went through and read a number of kind of the updates right through the nineteenth mm-hmm. century mm-hmm. and early twentieth century. So you got T. H. White and others, and um, you know, and then all the kind of other takes on it. So. I know yeah. it's not really well respected anymore, but Miss of Avalon was a, was a right? huge mm-hmm. book in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and that led to some controversy, but you know, in the movies like Excalibur and, and mm-hmm. Camelot, the musical and all those things that they're, they're kind of everlasting, right? They, yeah. they're, they resonate from generation to generation because the themes are everlasting. You know, you can, mm-hmm. you can read once in future King and then, go pick up a newspaper and see some things. Yes. Together. <laughs> and that's what I also love. Yeah. T.H. White sometimes as you, I don't know if you remember, but that was something I didn't quite catch at the time when I was a mm-hmm. teenager, but that he talks about, excuse me, he um, brings in current events, you mm-hmm. know, to the, compare them with. And that, that's funny. I, I was a French lit major too, as my undergraduate degree. But yeah, I love the medieval world. <laughs> and I love medieval art. Yeah, me too. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. We'll have yeah. to have you back and talk <laughs> yes. about it because I can talk about stained glass forever. Um, mm. 
Those are all great. So we will put all of those on our show page, listeners. Business for Bohemians, Peppermint Tea Chronicles, Book of Delights, and T.H. White's Once in Future King. All great recommendations just before the holidays. So yeah. those of you who are looking for Christmas or Hanukkah presents, mm-hmm. um, these all may, I'm going to have to look for business for Bohemians myself. I know. That sounds really interesting. I hate and, spreadsheets. Yeah. And Lori, <laughs> we'll also put a link to your Instagram um, page so our listeners can find you there so thanks so much for spending some time with us today thanks for joining Lori. oh thank you it was fun we appreciate it very much and we appreciate you listeners for joining us today for this episode of the oxygen starved podcast if you're enjoying the podcast please uh, remember to subscribe and if you have a moment leave us a rating or a review we'd appreciate that you can find us on our Instagram page at O2Starved and our uh, email address, the Oxygen Starved Podcast at gmail.com. So if you have any suggestions for us or thoughts that you want to share or a favorite Gary Larson cartoon that you want to share with us, uh, please uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody, so much. Stay safe out there and have a great day. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.